Good morning. My name's Michael Houghton, and I'm here to read the uh, first of today's Bible readings. The Bible reading is from Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 21. If you'd like to turn with them in your Bible, that would be great. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they, to prove they were right so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took the pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, 
and they laid there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The second Bible reading for today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Please read with me um, from the Bible in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. I'm Andrew. I'm a member of staff here. Um, we just want to add my welcome to Hannah's, especially if it's your first time today or your first time after a while away. It's excellent to have you with us. I'd be glad to extend my welcome a little bit further, just personally after the service. Hannah also uh, connected us with the fact that I'm speaking today on Ephesians chapter 1 to really raise our awareness that Base Camp is happening. Obviously, we've just heard from Tom. It's good to get to know Tom. Welcome, brother. 
and so that we can be praying uh, with a little bit more knowledge of Tom and the ministry he's going to have amongst us from Ephesians this week. And so we just wanted to raise that profile that as a church community, actually, what we're committing to is making sure something like Base Camp happens and praying and being on the team together that God's will might be done in the lives of everyone who's part of it. So Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14. God is unashamedly on about his own glory. And he wants to include us in that. He shows us what he is like, that he is the God of grace as he comes to us in the Lord Jesus and extends his unmerited favour to us so that we can be included in him. And then he wants us to have an ongoing role in praising him as we simply stand still and point to the Lord Jesus. God's grace for us. So it leaves us with a question, and we're going to interrogate ourselves a little bit about this this morning, especially as we press into the application. Are you praising yourself, or are you seeking God's glory? There's the challenge. Please pray with me. Let's ask for God's help as we come to his word now. Let's pray. Father, you alone are worthy of praise because you are the God of grace and you are the God of grace to us and for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for uniting us with you in Jesus. Please help us to see him more clearly now and point to him in our lives so that all the praise and the glory might go to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little bit of context about the letter to the Ephesians. So the writer is Paul. In his early life, he was an absolute critic of Christianity. In fact, he was the arch enemy of Christians until he met the risen Lord Jesus one day. And that convinced him that not only was Jesus alive, but that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that he, Paul, even had been expecting and had now come. And Jesus commissioned Paul. He gave him a very, very specific mission that he would be the lead preacher to the non-Jews, that Jesus was alive, that God's grace, God's kindness had come and people could be reconnected and reunited with God as they trusted Jesus. Now, doing that took Paul on several trips around the Mediterranean Rim and some parts inland. And one of the places that he reached was Ephesus. Ephesus was no small place. Um, in ancient Greece, but now modern Turkey, seaport, very important from the seaside, but very important from the land side, because that was a point of reference for many, many people coming and going in a, a significant part of Asia. And Paul planted himself there for at least two years, but it was a city of power. In particular, the temple of Artemis was there, the Roman goddess Diana. And she was the focus not only of artisan expression, but she was a source of their income and power. And she was a goddess responsible for nature, for childbirth, for wildlife, for hunting, for animals, for virginity, for young women. So she covered a lot of bases, Artemis. Right, And so she was a good goddess um, to seek life from, basically. 
And Ephesus was also a city of magic, um, the worship of dark powers. Now, Paul arrives, and with him in steps Jesus, through the preaching of the good news of Jesus. And spectacular things start to happen. People are freed from the grip of these powers, and they're freed from the grip of their sin. And you can read more about it in the book of Acts, so I commend it to you, because it's just amazing what happens as Paul is so powerfully and clearly preaching the resurrection of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is doing his work and transforming lives to show them where the true power and the glory is. It's in the risen Lord Jesus. And now Paul is writing to those people who did trust Christ, And he's writing to encourage them and remind them. And what we're looking at this morning is essentially his first sentence. It goes for what we have as 14 verses, but in the original Greek is just one long sentence. And in the words of uh, someone who is part of our 8am congregation, you can see Paul's priorities, can't you, and what he really chocks into this one sentence that he really wants to stick out in front of them at the start of this letter. And... The first thing I want to draw to your attention this morning in those first 14 verses is that God wants the glory. God's goal is so clear and so large. So we can see what he's heading for in verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. He's heading towards bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ for the praise of his glory. And so that we get that God is interested in his glory, Paul lists it out four times. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, the consequences to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, he's done these things in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And in verse 14, now with the spirit of God in us, guaranteeing that we will be there on that day, final day of consummation, that redemption, what's the, what's the goal? To the praise of his glory. God wants the true nature of his being known and he wants to be rightly acknowledged for it, praised. We get a bit of an idea of what's praiseworthy, just kind of doing a very superficial glance at those those verses I've mentioned. He's connected to Jesus, so the praise in some way comes from that connectivity to Jesus. He is gracious, that's verse 6. He's seriously wonderful, right? Because what we're being pointed to in verse 12 is that might be the praise of his glory. And then again in verse 14, to the praise of his glory, he is worthy of praise. So in the Greek, um, the word glory or uh, doxa means kudos or renown. Like being someone who is seriously credible, seriously legit, seriously done stuff to show that they've got the power still to keep doing stuff. But in the Hebrew, this same concept has kind of ideas of weightiness, importance, greatness, power, honour. Now, when we come to the God of the Bible, what happens is this. Any of that weightiness, that credibility, these great, these wonderful expressions find their pinnacle their highest degree of all these things in him. 
There is nothing beyond that. So I heard a story recently. My wife Sarah was just kind of, of course, in the wake of the, uh, Queen Elizabeth's death. 39 things you didn't know about QE2, right? Of course, there are millions of lists like that out there. But a, a couple of the things uh, that were maybe a little bit more obscure were these. She did not have a driver's license because on her say-so, everybody else in the country was issued driver's licenses. She did not have a passport because on her say-so, everybody else in the country was issued a passport. <laughs> so if you wanted to find the authority in Great Britain, it was her. All paths led back to Queen Elizabeth II. And the God of the Bible, he makes no apology saying, it's me. Have a listen. I'm going to read from Exodus 34. It's a really famous moment when Moses is granted is, is the concession of seeing God's glory. But God says, look, it's going to be too great for you. And the only way it's going to happen is I'm going to have to put you into the cleft of a rock and I'll let my glory pass by and you're just going to see a sliver. And this is what happens. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. So again, just notice this. The Lord tells about himself. He proclaims his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, not one of, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. So there's no gangster in this God. There's no money. There's no sex. There's no kind of wanton use of power just to kind of blow people away because he can. He says, no, no, no. In me, the pinnacle of power anywhere you're going to find grace and patience and love and faithfulness and your purpose is my praise so that you will know my glory and live and praise me. So Paul says unapolog unapologetically, unashamedly, Paul is not embarrassed to say this. He says God wants the glory. It's right to give him the glory. That's the way the universe works, <laughs> which is a massive challenge, isn't it? to us just in our individualism, but also in our collective society as we seek to build up power structures all over the place. Pretty normal, but can become self-referential or non-God references for understanding power. But Paul says, no, no, it's God at the top and he's unapologetic. I was really struck recently just watching the little bit of the Queen's funeral that I watched. It was so impressive. Um, I've had a little bit of experience, as some of you know, in the funeral industry recently, and I could not believe how well they did it all. Like, that was blowing my mind. I know, I know the behind-the-scenes work that has to go on just to have a regular funeral, but to have hours and hours and hours of a funeral. But in all of it, what struck me really so deeply was this, because I, I have been involved in, uh, say, organising 
the coffin into the back of the hearse, slow procession from the chapel in the cemetery to the graveside, graveside burial. It's very, very honouring. It's very beautiful, actually, when it's done very well. The hours of people saying, in the moment of the Queen's funeral, she is worthy of honour. And it's good for us and it's right for us actually to be here. That's what, that's what they're basically saying. Because of who she is and who she was and what that has meant to us and who we are as a people in relation to her. And in that moment at least, whether they, think it, they thought it most of the time, we, we're here today, we exist actually to honour her. But I think it was really helpful last week when Ian reminded us of some of the words of the Queen... And one of the things that stuck in my mind the most was when she had said, apparently, in conversation with a particular chaplain, she said, I so wish that the Lord Jesus would come back in my lifetime. And the chaplain said, why? And she said, so that I could take my crown and lay it at his feet. (laughs) So when we put those two things together, the tremendous honour in the funeral, but the fact that she realised where the honour really should go... (laughs) She had the right perspective, but we understand what God is actually like. He says, it's me, it's right to honour me, our purpose is his praise, but it's wonderfully good for us. And that's why Paul exhorts people and he's exhorting us now through Ephesians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You praise him. (laughs) It's right and it's good. Here's my second point. Jesus includes us in God's glory. So God shows us what he is like on the inside as he acts graciously to us in Christ on the outside. And so he doesn't leave us outside separated from himself. It's not like Moses in the rock anymore. In Christ, he brings the outsider in to actually include us in his glory as he includes us in himself. So on this second point, I'm going to be quite granular Okay, what I mean by that is I'm going to really work through the details of these verses so that you can understand just how much you actually have in Christ, how much you've been included in Christ. And I want us to be refreshed in that because as someone around our dinner table last night said as they helped me work out what I was going to say this morning as we looked at this passage, they said, there's not much of us in there, is there? There's so much of God and what he's done. Amen. And it's so good. It's so good. Verse 3. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4. He chose us. Verse 5. He lovingly decided beforehand to adopt us with pleasure. Verse 6. He freely gave us unmerited favour Kindness, grace. Verse 7, his grace brought redemption, the buyback, being saved from sin and the consequence of death for it. Verse 8, he lavished his favour upon us. Verse 9, he revealed his will. So there's no more mystery between God and us. There's no more mystery between us and God. There are no more secrets. Verse 10, he chose and decided beforehand. Verse 13, he included us in Christ. So here's here's what I want to underline. God is the primary actor. God is the agent 
in this exercise. And he acts to bring us unmerited favour and blessing. He includes us in his glory. What does that mean? He includes us in himself. Unites us with him. How? Through Jesus Christ. Okay? So the next thing to note is this. God does it in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. He has adopted us as his children through Jesus Christ. He's giving us his unmerited favour in the one he loves for us. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. He's revealed his will and his mystery uncovered in Christ. And we're included in Christ, now this is in the region of verse 13, through the gospel of salvation, the message of salvation. How? Just by believing it. And as we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually comes into us. Now I want to back-reference Ian's talk last week, especially because he failed at one point, actually. Yeah, so I just wanted to highlight Ian's failure. So you can, you can go back and check in on this. Ian struggled to actually find a way to adequately describe the Trinity. And do you remember why he said that? It's because you just cannot describe it being like something else. It is so unique. It is a God thing. And only God can be it. And in this case, what we're seeing here is that only God can do this. And guess what? He has. <laughs> he has acted towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's, a, here's another Trinitarian uh, thing to note why it's so important. Like Anne pointed out last week, that God the Father is God, that God the Son is God, that God the Holy Spirit is God, means that as God the Son dies on the cross, he fully dies for sin. And as God the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, lives in us, we are fully connected to God. Christianity is so distinct in this regard. In Islam... Allah is so remote, he wants to stay away. And he's so far, we're not really completely sure what he's like, and we're pretty certain it's going to be very difficult to reach him. In Buddhism, Buddha says, work as hard as you possibly can to get away. <laughs> it might take eternal repeats, but what you really want to do is get out of here. <laughs> but here comes Christianity God to us, God with us, God for us, and then God in us. These things couldn't be more different. And I just want to pick up how this works just through, through one of the images or through one of the references that Paul has made, the blood of Jesus. I lived in England in 1989. I did a gap year there working in a, a boarding school and then in a bed and breakfast. And during that period, it was the period of mad cow disease. I don't think it affected me too badly. <laughs> but here's one of the impacts. There was a moment when I was still living on the Gold Coast. I was driving home a little bit late at night. And there was a road sign that was flashing, um, urgent blood donations required, call this number. And so I called the number and the person on the other end said, look, one of the first questions we have to ask, did you live in England in the period... And I said, yes, I did. And they said, well, you can't give blood because of mad cow disease. I was very disappointed. Couldn't be part of the rescue, you know, whatever was going down. 
But here's the point. My blood was no good. They would not accept it because of the potential risk that there was for the person who had received the transfusion. What Paul says here is that we are redeemed by Jesus' blood. So his blood is so good and so clean and so powerful that when we would take a transfusion with Jesus' blood, it removes our sin, takes away our uncleanness. There is no problem anymore between us and God because we have the blood of Jesus actually for us. So this miracle work of God has taken place in Christ and in those who trust in him. So that, that miracle is described, verses 9 and 10, I read it before, the unity between God and the heavenly powers who have been at war with him and with each other, the unity between God and humans who are at war with each other, Jew and Gentile, and at war with him. And he says, in Christ, this is all over now. And the future is coming where this, this will all be tied up and reunited as it was at the beginning. And God's pleasure is to decide and action this unity and bring all things under Christ. So there's no more separation, but just life and immortality with God because Jesus gives it. Now, I want to press down just one step further in being granular here, and here's how we're going to do it. If you feel comfortable, please, um, in the next moment, close your eyes, because what I'm going to work through is the application for those of you who are trusting Jesus you might like to put your hand on your wallet if that makes you feel a bit more secure here. We are a church of sinners. I don't want you to wake up uh, with a nasty surprise. But if you are trusting Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you trust in Christ, you are chosen by God. If you trust in Christ, you are an adopted child of God. You are within the pleasure of God. Because he was pleased to adopt you in Christ. You please him. If you are a truster of Christ, you are a receiver of God's riches at Christ's expense. In Christ, you are redeemed. You are bought back. You are forgiven. If you are a truster in Jesus, you are favoured. In fact, you are up to your neck in God's love. He has lavished his grace on you. If you are in Christ, you are in the know with God. There is no mystery anymore between you and God. There are no secrets between God and you. If you are in Christ, you please him. If you are trusting Christ, you are chosen. If you are trusting Christ, you are included now in God himself. You are united with God. Please open your eyes if you've still got them closed. How good is that? So what we're understanding in all this is that rather than relegating us to a position of inferiority, God graciously, unmeritedly includes us in himself and elevates us to know him, to praise him, and to enjoy him. Our purpose is found in him, and we live to know him and honour him. It's a massive challenge, isn't it, to us, because we kind of are the I got this generation. I worked with a woman in the funeral industry. She had uh, send it tattooed across her um, fingers. 
And that's a, that's a contemporary expression, isn't it? Saying, look, I, I am just going to go for this. I'm going to max it out. I can do it. I'm going to put my best effort in and it will go well. But what we see is that God has got this. God has sent it in the Lord Jesus. And because of him, his blood in our place, we're united with him. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves, it leaves us to live to praise God's glory. This is my third and final point. If God's goal is his praise, having shown himself completely worthy of it, then our goals need to align with his, to show off his praise, actually, to show him off. And this is what Paul says in verse 3. He sits it right up the front. He says to them, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. So he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, if we're followers of Jesus, get on it. Get your praise on. Um, And here's how. Fundamentally, I've got four points, but all I'm really saying is, let God be God. So first point, how, how to live to praise God's glory. First of all, accept what he's done for you in Christ. We've looked at it. The action is God's in Christ. And look at what humans do. It's verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed it, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Hear, believe, be filled. Um, Here's why it's important for us to consider this very simply and take it on board. I've had conversations recently, good conversations with people who are trying to sort out what it means to be Christian. And more than once I've I've heard someone say, I can't be Christian. I don't really feel like I've got the forgiveness of God. And that's been a helpful moment to me to reflect on something that others have said to me more than once. Fact, faith, feeling. This is the way the good news of Jesus comes to us. The fact of his death and his resurrection in our place that really now guarantees that we can be forgiven and justified with God. We trust that we put our faith in him we let our feelings actually be determined by that chain God says he's already done it by Jesus' blood so you are forgiven if you're trusting in Christ and so you've got to let God be God over you and believe what he says and let your feelings be determined off the back of that that's the first thing, accept it secondly to live to praise God's glory, how would you do it? Stand still. Don't move a muscle. Accept this. Just point to Jesus. (laughs) The big to-do in this passage in verse 3 is praise him. So how do you do that? Well, Paul's just been doing it. Speak about Jesus, not about yourself. Show God for who he is, the God of grace. Just simply tell this out. And here's why this is important. Again, I've had the privilege lately of sitting down with some people and going through the Just for Starters studies. And Just for Starters are just that, helping people get started, believing Christ and living for him. 
And in the very first study, we look at Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, which says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I was going through the first study with someone recently, and we went through the first part, and then there's some, some questions that just press down and keep checking on understanding. And one of those questions is, how can you be sure you'll be saved? And the person I was studying with said, well, I try and do this and I do that and I do that and I do that. And one of the reasons why we were meeting together actually was this person's deep anxiety at feeling like he could never do enough to please God. And I said, well, when we look back at Romans 5, 8 to 9, what do we understand that, well, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he said, ah, oh, yeah, I can't do it, can I? Uh, nah. Christ has done it, hasn't he? Yep. So what do I have to do to be saved? Trust Jesus. And then live a life of thankfulness, certainly, but not to earn points. There's no need to point to yourself. God is already pointing you to Jesus. You just need to keep pointing to him. Thirdly, let God's mind change your mind and rejoice. So... From our series on Romans 12 earlier this year, Romans 12, 1 and 2 has stuck in my mind. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this through the renewing of your mind. Now, you might notice that I have not made this talk into a talk about the dirty P word, predestination. Because... God himself doesn't apologize for it. And Paul actually says, this is fantastic that God actually chooses. And so here's my challenge for you. Let God's mind change your mind. And I'm just going to cite something that I came across in the New Bible commentary. It was really helpful. The New Testament consistently proclaims God's loving decision to save, not as a conundrum to tease our minds, but as a wonder to evoke our praise, not as an element in God's character to be minimized, but as an assurance that our lives are in his powerful hands instead of being in the grip of fate or karma. It's never an excuse for carelessness in spiritual matters, but always as a reminder that Christians have a responsibility to confirm your call and election. We are chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight, so get on with actually living a life that pleases him in response to his grace. God's choosing purpose is actually an expression of his love. His goal is that there should be many children in his family. So what we actually do is our mind is changed by God's mind and we accept, ah, right, so you're God and I'm not. Ah, you get the right to decide over me and you have decided over me and actually what you've done is you've favoured me instead of giving what I deserved of judgment and separation for eternity. I might just let you be that. That is so great. That's your mind coming to me in Christ. So I'm going to let your mind change my mind. And as we do that, as we delight and rejoice in God's grace in Christ, our pleasure in God actually is the response to his delight in blessing us. So good. But lastly, how to live to praise God's glory? Well, I try to work backwards. And this is what I mean. I've tried to set up my life to praise God and so organize my life to do that. Because if that's his highest goal then I need to align my life with what he thinks 
is the goal of my life and what he knows is the goal of my life. And why is that important to any one of us? In particular because whether you like it or not, what you do and decide and what I do and decide, they influence people around me and if you've got people who are hanging off you like children, what you think is important, what you prioritise today is actually setting them on a path for the same priorities, whether you like it or not. And so it's really, really important for each one of us to be checking in with God and letting his priorities actually set our priorities. So here's how I work it. I work through the concentric circles okay, of my existence. So I, I think about myself daily and I ask myself, how is it that I'm going to let God's priorities inform and change my priorities? And guess what? I read the Bible. <laughs> Strange as that sounds. It's so easy. Even, but some days I don't feel like doing it, but I know... Lord, I know you've got a blessing for me. I know your will is higher than my will. I know what you want is what I need to want. And so help me to want that. But I need to get it from you and not make it up from me. So I set myself to hear from God daily and let him tell me what he wants. I've tried to discipline my money to do the priorities of God. So I make sure that at least 10 to 15% of whatever I earn is going to go out pretty well straight away into areas that promote actually knowing God and his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and caring for people as the gesture of his love. Then I think about those closest to me, and in particular my wife. How can I actually get up each day and show her and speak to her and serve her in a way that actually keeps reminding her of the Lord Jesus so that she can say about me, yes, he does follow the servant king. And so that my kids might look at me and say, yes, dad actually follows Jesus. And then I think about you. So sorry, you're kind of a little bit further down the list there. But I bust a gut actually to turn up to church and to life group and press in because my natural tendency is to be sinfully separate from God and from you. But as I know the love of God in my life, which is gracious and doesn't give me what I deserve, I let that set my priority and actually turn up to church. Of course, I confess I'm paid to turn up, right? So that's a bit of a bonus. But I just want to say, and the Lord knows my heart, I would be here anyway for these reasons, okay? Because I work to press in towards you and to extend my hand actually to welcome you so that you would also know the welcome of God. And then out and out and out, your friends, your colleagues, your teachers, Canberra, Australia, and the world. And I have asked myself, okay, where, where is my place, Lord, in all this? Should I stay close or should I go far? Here's a really helpful thing that the Evangelical Union, which is the Christian student group on campus at Sydney University, have come up with. They challenge the students to think about less resourced, less reached. And what they're trying to stimulate the students to think through is, if you think about your neighbourhood, if you think about your city, if you think about the state, if you think about Australia, if you think about the world, where are the less resourced, less reached places? Okay? Now you and what you're lining up to do, how do you organise yourself with what you're studying and the job you might get to go to a place that's less resourced and less reached? 
And how can you serve the church there if there is one that's struggling or just needs a bit of, bit of encouragement? Or how can you go there and actually set up the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in that location? So for people like you sitting in this building, you are some of the most highly trained, highly educated, flexible people cashed up in the world. Which means that gives you a, perhaps the greatest flexibility of anybody on the face of the planet to actually be as responsive to the Lord Jesus as anybody. <laughs> because you can actually organize yourselves to go. And for each of us, we just need to ask and pray the prayer, Lord, where do, where do you want me? I know of a church that used to say to its people, because it was so focused on making sure that it would send people out, if you've been in this church more than five years, what are you still being, doing here? Because you, abs you have not understood what we're on about. <laughs> but there's a challenge. And again, it brings us back to base camp, right? Why would we bother? Why would some people be taking time off work? Why would we be really, 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 really working hard to ensure that something like base camp happens? Well, because God is glorious and he is worthy of praise. During base camp itself, we want to do that. And Tom is primarily going to be heading that up as he preaches to us from Ephesians. But others on the leadership team will be there too so that the teenagers can get a grip on this. Like Tom mentioned and Ian prayed that they would see God's glory, that they would trust Christ for perhaps for the first time. People, we are part of that team this week. And our part is prayer in particular. So I just want to encourage you to pray off the back of Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to lead us in that prayer in just a moment. That God who is absolutely unashamed of his glory would be seen this week. That Jesus who wants to include people in his glory would be believed this week. And that we would be involved in praising him as we pray and point to him this week. Please join me and let's pray. Father, we keep asking that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, might give us and give those on base camp this week the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we and they would know you better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we might know the hope to which you've called us, that they might know the hope to which you've called them, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparably great power for anyone who believes in Christ. Father, I pray for us and for them this week that they would see that that power and they would feel and know that that power is the same as the mighty strength that you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and you seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. Father, please help us to see Jesus, the one under whom you've placed all things and the one whom you've appointed to be head over everything, for the church, which is his body, the powers in heaven, and those on earth. And we pray all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.